0: In this episode of AI in Industry, we dive into the topic of service businesses. How will artificial intelligence change the nature of IT services and service businesses in general, and what should such tech-related service businesses be considering to make themselves relevant for the future? to not leave themselves ripe for automation, but instead maybe do some of the automating and augmenting and be the one that captures the value, not the one who's victim to the technology. That is the dynamic that we look at this week, and we look at that dynamic through the lens of India. Arguably one of the better known IT services sectors in the world, India is in many ways the back office of the world, and India has a pretty grand opportunity to capitalize on that fact as artificial intelligence becomes more and more prevalent in back office and IT services related solutions, but it also potentially has peril, a sort of risk of potentially being automated. If we are to eventually speak with the Indian government, we did a big report on artificial intelligence in India and the economic impact, and we've spoken for governments in South Africa, Romania, Thailand, governments around the world. If we do get to speak with the government in India, I sure hope it's going to be about the IT services sector because I think that there's a lot that the government should be doing to consider what a big win would look like in the decade ahead. So I have my fingers crossed for that. And I have my fingers crossed also that this podcast will be listened to by the folks who are in the IT services sector in India and hopefully learned from by folks outside of India. We interview this week Nikhil Mohatra, who is the creator and head of Maker's Lab at Tech Mahindra. Tech Mahindra is a giant IT services firm based in India. Nikhil speaks with us about what he sees as sort of the opportunities and risks in the IT services sector, what he sees as some of the low-hanging fruit for applications, and what he also sees as kind of the philosophy shift that has to happen in the services space for people to fall in love with the question, not the solution, in order to actually see value, see profit, see growth from AI, not see shrinkage and risk. Now, what does it mean to fall in love with the problem and not the solution, well, you're going to have to listen to the episode. But I certainly like the framing. I like the idea. And I hope that people in and out of India sort of learn from this general idea and dive in. If any of you are interested in sort of IT services sector concerns beyond simply the insights of Nikhil in the conversation here today. Make sure to Google AI in India, where we do a much more thorough breakdown of our recommendations for the IT services sector in India and what the government and startup ecosystem should be doing to make sure that they see the upside and not the downside of artificial intelligence in the decade ahead. But without further ado, this is Nikhil Mohatra with Tech Mahindra. I am Dan Fajella, and you are listening to AI in Industry. Let's dive in. So, Nikhil, I thought where we'd begin here is talking about the upside, the optimistic side, the potential benefit of this wave of data science and AI to the technology services side of India. Such a big, booming part of the economy. So many big companies that are global based there in India really would be nice to ride that wave in a positive way. What do you see as the best way for the IT services sector in India to make the most of the coming sort of trend in AI?
1: Yeah, it certainly is, Dan, and I think that's a pivotal question to ask for, because you know the services industry has seen a lot of boom in the past few sectors or few years, in a lot of ways, right? from the employment perspective and to the perspective to what we can do from services to the outside world. Now, the world started changing in 2014, 15 when AI started hitting us, and services industry was quick to realize this. Now the upside to that AI was, even though there's a lesser amount of research that happens within the services industry. The bandwagon of AI has picked up. Now, how has it picked up? We started off with automation when the word AI came in. I'm from Tech Mahindra and I run a small little R&D center over there called Maker's Lab. Now, what we really do is we really look at the R&D part of the AI, where we look at, you know, deep neural networks or even techniques beyond deep neural networks. But if you look at the practical side of things or what we are trying to do with our customers, it's a process that starts from thinking about business process efficiencies. So can we make the process efficient? And I think the first thing that happens, you know, from a business process efficiency standpoint is to essentially go into automation. Can you write scripts to ensure that you automate this stuff so that you don't have to do that redundant stuff over and over again? I think it's post that automation that you actually start getting into the insights part of it and say, hey, because I did automate and I did make sure that some part of it was removed, you know, from a human perspective, I then get an into insights part and say whether I can do a predictive mechanism or not. You know, more often than not, we are actually seeing that we are looking at more and more automation perspective from an Indian services standpoint at this point in time. And there are a few cases which are trickling in, which really talk about the artificial intelligence part of it, whether it is, you know, prediction about whether there is a customer turnout, let's say in a telecom scenario, Or, you know, there are cases of chatbots which have become so omnipresent these days that every company has a chatbot framework today that tends to call it that I have a conversational piece that I can actually give you. So these are the upsides that we are seeing within the services industry part as
0: well. today. Yeah. So just to poke into that a little bit, you're talking about the automation side of things. I think, you know, there are a lot of firms, you know, maybe in the West, maybe elsewise, who sort of have... You know, firms like, you know, a tech Mahindra or Wipro or whoever else there, they, you know, we could say, quote unquote, automate some of their IT work or tech work or support work with, you know, just human brains. They just kind of throw humans at it on the other side of the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I mean, there's a lot of demand for it. What you're talking about here is can we sort of replace that with scripts now is that for your own internal operations within the indian it services sector is this for clients or how are you imagining that shift happening
1: the shift is both ways dan i think it happens internally as well because you've got a dog feed yourself as well before you start applying something to your customers so for example from a tech mahindra's perspective we have at least around at this point in time some 16 to 20 chatbots which are functional which are solving different needs, whether it's an HR use case where, you know, people are trying to get information about their HR systems or it's about, you know, booking tickets or finding out what's going on. And to me, chatbots today are less conversational than more automated part of it, yeah. where they actually connect to the back ends that they actually figure out what's going on you know in a simple use case they're not the google duplex which we see when google launched them or something which people have been imagining saying that they are near human kind of a conversation (laughs) But, but they're not as yet but this is something that we are applying internally within the organizations but some of these cases which are essentially automating of testing to a certain extent automation and a natural UI interface through a chatbot of certain cases are also being applied to our customers as well. And there are different needs. Some of them are internal to customers, where customers really want the entire piece to happen within their own premise and not open it up to their customers or the end consumers. But in some scenarios, we are seeing that customers are even willing to open up to the end consumers with caveats and with proper disclaimers saying that, hey, please don't treat it as a human. It is essentially a bot which can converse, Or a bot which can do some kind of automation for you, right? So there are different places in which we are seeing this work. Just out of kind
0: of curiosity here, in terms of sort of what you're referencing, the way to sort of level up the skills and build those capabilities, there are, as you mentioned, you're working with a pretty focused lab that's dialed in on these kinds of technologies. I imagine a lot of the very large services firms will have some kind of focus in that particular way and maybe use that as a way to educate their people. The talent gap is a big problem if you're in boston or san francisco and i can imagine the same is the case in fact i you know happen to know the same is the case in bangalore as well or other yep. major tech cities in india how is that being squared in other words what does it look like to level up enough of the skill set of the indian tech services sector to kind of you know build these conversational interfaces build these automated applications to help clients and help themselves
1: I think what we are doing, and I tell you what we are doing internally, I think what I did after I came back from US in 2014, I actually started this R&D center, which was essentially called Maker's Lab. Now, the reason why we call it as makers is because you can make a lot of stuff and not look at some of the other stuff that is being made which you can beg, borrow, steal, etc. And that was the whole premise that we wanted to start off with. Now, the idea that we do in Maker's Lab is we have a core research and development unit where we actually work on AI, machine learning. Even we are foraying into quantum computing at this point in time where we can figure out how quantum computing can come out. And some of those algorithms that we do with AI can actually be worked in quantum computing. But you are right. There is a talent gap that is appearing. Now, one of the ways in which we are trying to figure that out and, you know, within our own organization is we have opened up our maker's lab to everyone within the sector. And we have about seven across the world. We have four in India, where, you know, in our prime sectors, which is Pune, Bangalore, Hyderabad and Chennai. And what we do is we allow our associates to come in into the lab, see what's happening. But secondly, we also want them to participate in some of these disruptive technologies so that from an indian perspective we've all seen or uh, we've gone through a graduated or something what i call the programming part of it where we know c sharps from c++ to java but now is the time when design also gets included into some of our conversations and that design is not really a design based on a language or an algo or, or a piece of code it's more design based on a specific algorithm it's more design based of a specific problem that's one part but huh. i think the second thing that we are seeing is essentially the aspect where we are finding a lack or a lacuna is essentially people coming out of colleges. Even though universities have opened up these channels for disruptive technologies, they do teach AI, they do teach machine learning. I think the practical piece and the nitty gritty of machine learning in AI is still missing. And one of the reasons for that is we've got to push in a lot of, lot of effort towards the R&D sector within India. Why? Because today, if you look at the AI machine learning world, typically the AI world, you've got about 100 different toolkits that you can work with. You've got TensorFlow, you've got Scikit-learn, yeah. you've yeah. yeah. got Ciano, you name it, and there is a toolkit. Now, from an Indian IT services standpoint, these toolkits are nothing more than an API or an SDK, which... Somebody used earlier to create a Java program, used Android APK to actually do something from an Android perspective, but now they're using another toolkit to actually create an algorithm or an algorithmic base or maybe making an application. But the brass tax is missing. How does an algorithm really work? What really needs to work upon on that algorithm is something that needs to be now taught upon. And I think that's why there is a gap between the talent pool. You can upskill a person in the services industry to say, his TensorFlow, read it and learn about it, and then start coding on TensorFlow. But there's a difference in what TensorFlow's recurrent neural network does to what an LSTM or a long, short-term memory does, right? And that's the gap that we've got to fulfill. And I hope in the next two, three years, we would fulfill that gap, or we will probably fill that lacuna. From spending a lot of time over there, I think that,
0: you know, clearly India has you know probably more engineering graduates than, I mean, geez, anywhere in the world, really. You get yeah, exactly. so, so, ma- so many young people in India, which if you look at the demographics of the other kind of, you know, superpower countries, not as many young people. You also have a huge emphasis on engineering across the whole country in terms of education. And I think that, yeah, wouldn't it be great if the services sector could be the place that put the hands-on work Behind those academics to make them powerful, I mean, that would swell the skill set of the whole country if that could be done well.
1: Exactly. And I think that's what we're doing, Dan. I think what we do at Maker's Lab is we are actually a conduit between the academy as well as the business. So in my Maker's Lab, I have kids coming in right from the age of eight years to about 14, 23 when they reach college, right? So now the reason why we do that in Maker's Lab is essentially saying, A, we get so many non jaded ideas from an eight year old or a nine year old. (laughs) And to actually make that idea and give it a fruition piece, we would actually have these engineers come from college who are being trained on these new technologies, theoretically, they would also get a corporate feel of how you work across these technologies, right? So that's where you actually become a conduit between their academy and business. What we find, is that when our people who have not been traditionally trained in the research and development, they actually get involved into a designing, a researching, a developing a particular product, a piece or a process. With some of these young students, it's a lot of fun, right? At the end of the day, you break heads, you know, you, you break windows and stuff, but, but it's quite fun at the end of the day because you're actually researching in a way. It sounds
0: very Mountain View to me. It sounds like the kind of thing that they would do with kids, you know, only in a couple places in the U.S. And I think, you know, it's pretty obvious to say that if, you know, you're tinkering with those kind of things as a little guy, you know, then by the time you graduate from school, you maybe are, you know, have a little bit of a higher penchant to want to create, to want to build things. So kind of an interesting, interesting take there. I'm going to throw in one comment and then one last question on the upsides here, and then we'll talk about avoiding downsides. But I'm very much with you on improving the R&D. In India, in a big way. You know, we were about 50 50 in terms of the people we interviewed, but a lot of people that we interviewed out there did to some degree lament kind of just the heads down work element, the kind of copycatting, the just hands on, throw a person at it services, which maybe involves a little bit less on the innovation side of the tech sector. Now, look, that's nothing against the Indian economy. It's just a statement, right? Every economy has ups and downs. Now, I'm completely with you in that you know r and d and developing actual technical solutions that's a big deal that's a different thing than throwing a human at it which may not scale forever you know i Absolutely. wonder if you have an opinion about this the specific question i have to ask is You know, in the artificial intelligence machine learning world, the question often is, okay, what is the data that we have access to that's high quality, that's unique, that nobody else does? Now, the Indian tech sector is like the back office of the world. And so (laughs) my question to you is, is there a way to turn that, turn the fact that a lot of those IT customer services, tech, back-end things are happening in India, can enough of that be congealed to the point where those can become scalable products for the Indian economy, not just a
1: place for a guy to do something repetitive? No, you're absolutely right. And I think this is something that I keep telling in my lab as well. We, as an Indian economy, as a services industry, have to start loving the problems. See, traditionally, we've always loved the solutions. So you know, the reason why we are the solution bowl of the world You know, you outsource a problem and you actually get a solution because we always love the solution part. Hey, you've got a problem in a piece of code. You've got a problem in a particular website and maybe a mobile phone. And now in a data science part, we can give you a solution. We've lost the touch of loving our problems. And I think that's where it essentially starts. If you start loving problems, you also start loving the whole process of design to actually solve that problem. And when you start loving that design aspect of loving the problem, you also start researching around it. What's the world doing? What is the amount of data that I've got today? How would that data essentially affect the end consumer? Whether it's the end consumer in US or it's the end consumer back in India, how would that data really affect? Can I take a piece of that data and apply that to my Indian consumer section as well and maybe make a scalable product out of it? Now, the day we start loving problems, we would start getting into the research and development wing. My wish list essentially is that every services company or what we call a services company starts getting hands dirty into the research and development wing. We have our own wish list that we have started in Tech Mahindra. But then this research and development, if it gets started in the services industry, it also puts a pressure across to universities, academia, as well as the other scientific community to say that now these services company also need a research and development person rather than just a heads down person who yes. can actually just do code and stuff. Yes, like that, right? yes, yes. And that's where it starts changing as a process.
0: I secretly hope that the folks at NITI.io and elsewhere, you know, tune into this episode. I know we have tremendous volume of readers and all the cities that you'd mentioned, you have your kind of major offices, those are like all in the top 12 cities in terms of readership. So I hope more and more folks in India listen to that, because I really do think that that shift is going to be critical, particularly as heads down stuff in some cases becomes the low hanging fruit for automation. But at the same time, the upside is, If you guys are the ones handling, as you said, the solutions, well, you think a little harder about the problem and there might be something that scales. There might be something that the whole world needs that's more than just another three, four, five, two dozen guys and becomes a real kind of economic driver there in India outside of just clocking hours. Okay, that being said, we can talk a little bit about what you see as – you know, potential risks to avoid with AI and automation in the coming decade ahead in the services sector. What are things that people in this
1: industry probably should be aware of and maybe steer clear of in your perspective? We keep discussing these, you know, challenges. I think one of the biggest challenge of getting mired into the AI and the machine learning world is is getting too attached to it. I have seen people in the services industry these days put in their PPT a word called cognitive. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. at this point in time, we are not cognitive and we have not even reached the scale of AGI. The other thing that I've probably seen is people having a simple problem, but they actually try and make it complex by putting up a machine learning or an AI wrapper. around it. Yep, yep. I think machine learning and AI is there to stay, but it's there to support and serve a specific cause and purpose. And that cause and purpose has to be first hypothesized, has to be first understood from a human constrained perspective and then applied. Typically, what we are seeing now is the growth from the automation factory that we are building in the services firm in India is going to leap forward into the AI machine learning world. But that AI machine learning world, A, requires a lot of data, B, requires a lot of hypothesis from a data science perspective, and C, requires a specific use case where you can apply that AI and machine learning. Not everything can be solved through AI and machine learning. So that's the pitfall that we've got to avoid if we are in the services world because it looks like a very snazzy term to be utilized yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. whenever you're talking to your customers and I think that's something that we've got to avoid. I'm totally with you on that. I mean, I I think
0: that there's a bit of an interesting tension, you see this a ton in the United States, but I imagine it's exactly the same out there, where you sort of have to drop these keywords to kind of seem like you're hip and you're with it. You sort of have to be able to offer it because somebody's going to ask if you can, but then again, there gets to be this insidious force where we're bragging about capabilities that don't exist or... We're leveraging AI, talking about AI, winning a contract by saying AI or trying to, when in fact, like this really shouldn't be an AI problem. It's not something that's going to
1: require AI to, yeah. to get a result. And I keep saying on that aspect, Dan, I keep saying to my people, as I said before, got to love the problem. Don't love the solution. The why, The why is important. The what and the how would come out. The what and the how could be an AI machine learning piece could not be an AI machine learning piece. But the why has to be understood correctly. And I think we have so many examples from history doing this, right? You know, the steam engine was built somewhere around 1837. But unless a motor car was actually made in the format that Henry Ford did, it never scaled up. So there was a technology, but there was a design behind it. And how did that technology solve something? Was immaterial as long as I could give that seamless experience to my customers. So I think that's the important part that we've got to look at. It doesn't really matter that I have to apply AI every time. But yeah, there are cases where you have
0: to. 100%. I really like this love the problem, not the solution thing. Because as you put it, I think the meta skill for the IT services sector in India is not so much, okay, well, we all have to become technically proficient in AI. Well, yeah, certainly some people do. But I think more so is like we have to scalably, like, conquer these problems at a high level that's something other than a dozen people doing just the muck work of whatever is supposed to be done. Like, you know, the goal is the, like you said, the design. Sometimes, you know, the steam engine's already been invented, but we just have to find a better way to frame it. doesn't have to be a brand new technology from Mars. It can just be a better darn way to approach the problem itself. And I think, you know, what you're saying is anchoring in that philosophy rather than let's go all learn the new tech tricks is something exactly. to bear in mind. Okay, I'm following you on that. Lastly, anything else that you would say in terms of risks to avoid in this transition to AI in the Indian tech sector? Anything in closing here that, that you'd also like to just sort of have people be mindful of, I suppose?
1: I think the sector's here to stay and the sector's here to work across. I think what we've got to look at is a broader perspective of this sector of AI and machine learning. I think Niti Ayog and the government has already placed quite a few bets on the AI. And they are also working on some of the things that could change the way India looks at towards AI, as well as, you know, solving some of our complex problems like agriculture, like education, Education, and, you know, some languages and stuff like that. But I think what people need to be mindful of is essentially the ask of getting into it, A, but also the process of getting into it, right? So the process of getting into it is not necessarily engineering which we typically do. We Indians also have a mindset that if I follow a path, I would lead it to this specific sector, which is not there in US. I think we've got to be mindful of the fact that saying you could reach an AI place even if you were an economic student. You know, you've got to love data to actually reach that AI part of it. So I think that's my closing remark saying that AI is going to be here to stay. AI is going to solve a lot of big problems. But I think what we've got to look at is A, love the problem, but also B, be mindful of the process of finding that problem out and being there. I'm totally with you, and I have a secret
0: hope in my heart that in you know, five years from now, the Indian tech sector is not just going to be labeling all the data that companies in Europe don't want to label and handling like the monotonous setup of algorithm stuff that maybe people don't want to handle elsewhere, but is conquering those problems in new and unique ways with the mindset that you're talking about. I think that it's hard to see anything in that sector that's going to be more valuable to the Indian economy. So my fingers are crossed that your philosophy spreads, my good man. And Nikhil, I I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your ideas here on AI and Industry. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you so much. It was lovely talking to you. you.
0: and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance, and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI in Industry, and we'll catch you next week.